0: This is the John Oakley show podcast. Here we go. Hour two on a great day for talk radio. You know, it's just uh, so much manna from heaven. Uh, All these things to talk about and healthcare becomes a big uh, item because we had this story surface earlier today where the NDP claimed they'd been uh, given a leaked document yesterday showing that the premier's revving up for severe cuts and privatization in Ontario's healthcare system. And uh, Christine Elliott, The health minister has actually responded to that within the last uh, hour and change. And in case you missed it, here's Christine Elliott. Since the NDP haven't been in government for more than 24 years, they might not know how the legislative process works. Drafts are drafts. It's not been finalized. Yeah, I had one in my house last night. I was trying to get to sleep. I had a draft. Anyway, uh, no to the point. And she's right. I, look, this is just uh, the first overview of uh, what might start a conversation that's necessary to have. And we're going to have it with our panel coming up, as we did in the first hour, just broaching the subject about the potential for at least uh, opening up some kind of competitive uh, field in healthcare and with healthcare service providers. Maybe uh, it's not the panacea, but... You can't even touch that. It's considered a third rail politically. Andrea Horvath is suggesting as much, sacrosanct and so on and so on. But, you know, if we've got people languishing in halls and hallway medicine, that's what prompted all of this. Doug Ford during the last election campaign saying he would address it, appointed Reuben Devlin. Devlin's finding is the thing that they're fussing over right now. Uh, we'll get to it with our panel here shortly. And uh, on matters of how this system does work, I was kind of, my own curiosity was piqued. There was a a study done, I guess, by Global News, and in their uh, serialized account of things, a second part looks at how gunshot victims are treated for trauma by Toronto's medical teams at St. Michael's Hospital uh, right downtown. I thought, you know, uh, this is another sort of aspect of health care that maybe a lot of us don't appreciate. And to give us further insight into that, before we get to our panel, we've got Dr. Brett Belchutz joining us, Global News Radio's medical expert. Brett, good to have you on board as always. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon.
0: So, on this matter, with the global series on uh, how trauma centers operate, uh, you effectively are in one as well, doing triage, aren't you?
1: Well, just to be clear, uh, you know, I I do not work in a trauma centre, so I'm an emergency room physician, and and I work in a community emergency room, and and we do see our fair share of trauma. Um, You know, there are things that come into us like, you know, terrible motor vehicle accidents, and there are gunshot wounds that come into us. But, you know, we don't have the sheer volume of trauma that you would experience at a centre like St. Mike's or Sunnybrook or some of the other big Toronto area trauma centres get.
0: You ever had to deal with a code orange, or am I watching too many of these shows, you know, where uh, everybody, Patrick Dempsey, takes care of things and sews people up on a dime? Uh, No, I mean, when we have, like, mass casualty situations, uh, these emergency departments spring into action. Is there anything special we need to know about?
1: Well, you know, there's, there's lots of things uh, to know about. And, and when there is a, a mass casualty situation, it's one of those things where every single hospital in the area will actually be part of the response because no single hospital has enough resources to to take care of all of the casualties that might occur. For instance, you know, when we think about, um, you know, I remember there was a uh, the shooting in Scarborough on Danzig Avenue a number of years ago uh, where I believe 20-some-odd people got shot all at once in one event. Yeah, 23. Uh, so, yeah, 20, you know, very very high number. I know that my hospital uh, took care of a number of those shooting victims. Uh, you know, a number went to, to to each trauma center, and and every hospital in the area got a few of those victims. And so, only through the cooperation of all of the hospitals in the area can we effectively respond to something on that scale. Just because. You know, even in our biggest emergency rooms, there are only, you know, at any given time, a, a finite number of physicians that are on staff, a finite number of nurses, and there's a finite uh, set of equipment available to deal with traumatic injuries. So, you know, across our entire city, we're lucky enough that we have enough resources to respond to big events like that, but but we really all do work together in a coordinated manner. And, you know, I think that the, the stories that you're referring to uh, really refer to the fact that every second counts and our ability to get patients to hospitals where there are resources available to help them now rather than waiting to take care of three other victims first it is an essential part of our ability to actually effectively save lives in these types of situations.
0: Well, all right, you talk about the coordinated effort, and boy, I guess uh, if you're going to be efficient on anything, it's got to be time because uh, every second counts, as you've just said. So how do you prioritize? And walk us through uh, how you might approach something like a gunshot victim being wheeled in, and you're given advance notice, they're coming in through the ambulance. Uh, how, do, how does then everybody get into place and get ready to do whatever's necessary?
1: Every second does count and planning is everything so you know we work really closely with uh, our EMS service providers in terms of they give us a heads up of what's coming in so that you know it doesn't just roll in the front door and then we start preparing we know several minutes out that there's an ambulance on route and we know it, you know to, to at least some degree what are the injuries that we're expecting and we try to mobilize our teams that they're ready and ready to respond uh, before that victim ever rolls in. So we usually have the trauma Bay ready. We usually have uh, a, a team that consists of you know respiratory therapists who will help to make sure that that person is breathing properly. We try to get a surgeon coming down in case there's anything surgically that needs to be done. Uh, you know we have a, a full team of nurses that are ready. Uh, you know we have the resuscitation equipment that's ready. Um, you know, all of those things that would be required to take care of these victims are, are, are standing by for when that person rolls in so that we're not waiting for things to arrive. Now, when those patients roll into the trauma bay, we have a very structured approach, and that approach is all about we try to address things that will kill that patient first. So we're not trying to fix everything, and, and fixing everything can take sometimes weeks to months, but what we are trying to do is stop the things that will kill you quick. So. You know, you know, we have these you know basic uh, trauma type uh, you know acronyms that help us know what to do first. And and the first thing is just your your sort of air. air, It's called ABC, which is airway, breathing, and circulation. And that's a first aid thing that you hear a lot, but it applies in trauma as well. And the things that are going to kill people quickly are are if their airway is compromised. And their airway is anything between their mouth and their nose where they're breathing in and down into the lungs. So if there is something in the throat that's blocking the airway, if there's massive bleeding in the mouth that is blocking the airway, if they're choking on anything, um, anything all the way down, these are the things that we want to make sure that we can secure. So we want to secure that. We want to get it under control. We want to make sure that there's a nice, clean, controlled passageway from the outside world to the lungs and that is usually through a process called intubation where we actually put a tube down the trachea and into the lungs so that we can actually help this person to breathe. Uh, breathing is really important. We have to of course make sure the person is breathing and if they're not breathing on their own we have to mechanically help them to breathe so you know securing that airway is not of a lot of use if this person isn't able to use their lungs and take air in. The other part of breathing is do they have a lung injury which actually might require urgent treatment. So especially and i've seen this a number of times in the setting of gunshot wounds people develop something called a pneumothorax and what a pneumothorax is is when a bullet penetrates the outer lining of the lungs what ends up happening is air leaks out all around that lung and the pressure of that air actually causes the lung to collapse and so that's something that we're always on the lookout for as a first step in a gunshot wound or major trauma because that can be rapidly fatal so even if we're doing everything we can to breathe for the person if that lung has collapsed it doesn't work anymore so if we believe that there is a pneumothorax, we emergently put in what's called a chest tube to drain out all that extra air. Sometimes we're draining out blood because you can have blood in that cavity as well. And then everything else is you know, circulation. So from there on out, what we're trying to do is identify places where there is massive bleeding that needs to be stopped right away, and we need to replace that bleeding. So you know, we're looking for areas of hemorrhage that we can stop either through compression or through suturing techniques or opening techniques where we can find bleeders and fix them quickly. Um, what we also want to do is get good intravenous access. and We want to be pumping fluids in. We want to be pumping blood replacement, things like um, transfusions that are happening, all of these things that, that we need to do to make sure that if the person is bleeding a lot, we can replace it. So um, all of this is not happening one after the other. Um, most of this is happening actually as a team. We're trying to do this all at the same time in in parallel versus in series. And it's this coordination of each person having responsibility for a different part of that survey, which allows us to do this so quickly. So that's a lot of stuff that I've gone over, but all of this is really, really just the very basics of keeping somebody alive in those early moments after a trauma.
0: I just love the way you're rhyming these things off because it's so ingrained, I guess, in your procedural uh, experience that uh, this is comforting to know. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, this is standard practice with all of our emergency or trauma units. Again, Dr. Brett Belchus is with us, Global News Radio's medical expert. We're just riffing on uh, a Global News series, Part 2, looking at St. Michael's Hospital Trauma Center and how they deal with gunshot wound victims. Uh, So you've really kind of spelled it all out. I'm curious, do you guys actually do simulated drills to, uh, you know, again? Practice basically.
1: Well, there you know, there's lots of practice. We will do lots of simulations. There are uh, really good trauma courses that most of us who work in this space uh, have taken. So you know, we practiced not only on you know you know on our own, and we practiced with dummies. We practiced in formal courses, and then what we will often do is. Before we're ever doing this on our own, we're usually doing this under supervision. So as part of our training, you know, we will rotate through a team, a a trauma team or a training center where senior people that have done this many times will be the people doing it. and We will work with them and we will see it happening, being run by other people. So usually by the time you are the physician or you are the nurse that is actually, you know, running a trauma or, or taking care of a trauma victim, this is something that in simulations and in the real world, you have seen dozens of times. It, it, this is never a situation where you want to be doing this for the first time, having never seen it before.
0: And so uh, could you just give us a ballpark timeline or, or a window of whether or not, uh, you know, the person who's coming in, and every second counts, uh, their prospects for survival or I guess it depends on the degree of uh, the injury, but is there a a point, like you say, the first sixty seconds or two minutes, really can make or break the situation?
1: Well, it, it is highly dependent on the injury. Um, you know, if we have a a anything that is affecting the airway in a in a catastrophic way, so you know, anything that is blocking air from getting to the lungs, or if we have a lung collapse uh, that is not detected in time, you know, these are injuries that can kill in minutes. So. If you do not have the appropriate personnel attending to you, and you have one of these things, uh, your your time is is measured in very very short uh, periods. Um, hemorrhages usually do tend to to be something that you have a little bit more time. Um, it's very rare, you know, outside of really really. Terrible, terrible traumas uh, that I've seen people hemorrhage to death in, in a period of a few minutes, usually you've got a little bit more time. you know typically you know in those scenarios where I've seen people die from hemorrhaging, it's more you know that you know for the major hemorrhages more like the twenty to thirty minute mark is when those can get very bad but again, there's just such a degree of, of injuries, and you know I've seen you know all sorts of terrible things that break these rules. so there is no hard and fast rule, but what is very clear from all of the research on this topic is that time equals life so In every study ever done of trauma, the quicker we attend to the victims, the quicker we start getting them breathing properly, the quicker we start, uh, you know, really supporting their their circulation, stemming blood loss, and actually replacing that blood loss, uh, the better they do, the higher the likelihood that they're going to survive.
0: And is there one overseer who basically uh, calls in units of blood, you know, to uh, stop with, of course, uh, the loss of blood and so on? Somebody's coordinating all of this? Like, uh, I don't know...
1: yep and very much so so in any trauma usually there is a leadership position so so the key is there there needs to be one person that is overseeing the entire trauma effort. So there's usually what we call a trauma team leader in a trauma center. Uh, in my center, because we're not a trauma center, usually it's the emergency physician that oversees the efforts, and that person usually isn't doing too much of the hands-on work. They actually usually take more of a step back from the situation and are guiding all of the other personnel to make sure that they're working together effectively. So, so you know, even in, in a non-traumatic resuscitation, so when we just have somebody that is in our department with a cardiac arrest, and, you know, it's not a trauma, but we have to resuscitate those people, It is very important that there is one health care provider that stands back from the scene and coordinates efforts because these things can get really chaotic and very confused very quickly if there isn't uh, an air traffic controller type position who's navigating for everyone.
0: You know, it's interesting, the developments along this front, uh, you see that even with the military where uh, the death count uh, in certain wars, foreign wars, has been dramatically reduced actually uh, because of the triage and the medical treatment that's being coordinated and advanced to a point uh, where, you know, the loss of life has been lessened just because the first few minutes are so critical, and uh, the medics have their act together, and uh, we've learned through experience over the years, I guess. And they even say changing the placement of devices and supplies has improved the odds of survival because it's just seconds more efficient.
1: Well, I'd say every single part of the process we've gotten better at. You know, we've identified so many areas where, you know, we just weren't doing things effectively before. We didn't have the right devices. We didn't have them in the right places. We didn't have the right team members. We didn't have the right protocols. We didn't even understand, uh, if you go back many decades, we didn't understand how much uh, was the right amount of fluids to give a trauma victim, how many... Uh, how much blood replacement was actually the right amount to give before you got into trouble. And, you know, when you're replacing blood, what we didn't realize at certain points way in the past was that you can't just keep giving blood endlessly without giving some of the other products that get lost, things like platelets and other parts of, uh, of of your circulation that also get lost when you have a traumatic injury. So we've learned over time all of the different protocols, and we have figured out what actually makes a difference and what doesn't. Uh, and our technologies have gotten a lot better. You know, we have way better surgical techniques. We have way better imaging techniques. Uh, you know, we have uh, some trauma departments that actually have a CT scanner right in the department. So our ability to actually find the injuries, identify them, and know how to repair them uh, is just massively better than it was, you know, in a, in a period of very long time ago. So, you know, in every dimension, we're much better. But that being said, you know, there's still unfortunately are you know a fair percentage of cases that that they are beyond salvage and i've certainly dealt with a number of those myself where the injuries are just too traumatic uh for us to be able to recover them by the time they get to us and and that is i think one of the the hardest parts of this job is, is the fact that you know even though we are able to save a lot of people there are still many many people that we are unable to help
0: fascinating account of uh well being on the front lines when it comes to trauma Brett, it's always great to talk to you. We learn so much. Thanks so much for your time again.
1: My pleasure. You have a great day.
0: Thank you. And you too. Dr. Brett Belchitz, Global News Radio's medical expert. A fascinating insight. There's more where that came from. Topics worthy of discussion. we got our panel waiting in the wings in a moment here on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.